0: that let's go to the Lord in prayer man of sorrows what a name and Lord you came not to be served but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many so Lord as we now come to your word we come to you as your disciples those whom you have purchased, and those who you call your friends. Amen. Why don't you be seated? This morning's sermon is entitled, Raising Children to be Wise in Heart. In the kind of avenue by which I, I hope to exhort us this morning, is to go a little bit beyond maybe what you're thinking. Raising children in our home, and that certainly is included, and we'll talk about that this morning from Proverbs. But I want us to have a a, a bigger view of education and the church's role in it. See, in the early church, theological education... Began not as a means to train pastors. You might have, that might surprise you. Theological education began to train every believer to know the faith and be able to defend it. Churches would catechize, they would teach, they would train in doctrine. And this is for every believer. So that everyone would be able to give an answer to the, to the hope that they have. By the 700s, getting into the medieval period, schooling was, was not separated from secular and religious, and Christians were the main educators in society. And such education came um, either through, through one of two avenues, either through the monastic schools or the cathedral schools. And so whether you were of noble birth or whether you came from poor social standing, the church sought to educate children. They do so. The, the church would establish these schools and institutions to impact society. And if you were to do a study on, uh, on the influence of Western thought, and you think about the, uh, the Europeans and even to America today, it goes back to the church starting institutions and schools by which they educated all. And so, as a result, Christianity was the major influencer in the development of the Western world. The developments that we have, we think of hospitals, we think of even uh, institutions and universities, and, and what we experience and benefit today was largely impacted by the church all the way back from the beginning. Churches not only educated the masses, but they also established orphanages and hospitals to meet the needs of society. And a, maybe a more recent example of this, and when I say recent, in the last hundred years, is illustrated in the leadership of a great Baptist preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You may know that name. Spurgeon was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. And in 1867, he led his church to found an orphanage for fatherless boys Twelve years later, it opened up and was able to bring in girls and grew to nearly house 500 children at their church. The vision for what became the Stockwell Orphanage began at a prayer meeting. It began at a prayer meeting where they would often lift up needs of the church. And, and, and Pastor Spurgeon got up and, and he spoke to the church and he said these words to them. He says, we are a large church. And they were. They were well over a thousand we are a large church, he said, and should be doing more for the Lord in this great city. He says, I want us to ask him to send us some new work. And if we need money to carry it on, let us pray that that means may also be sent. He exhorted his church and said, what, what are we doing in this city? Let us Seek the Lord's face and ask that new work may be given. And I want to encourage us to be doing the same. Soon afterwards, right about the same time, there's a, a widow, she was a, a widow of a pastor, her name was Miss Hilliard. Her heart was heavy for ministry. She had resources and and she was wondering and praying, how how might the Lord use me? In my new season of life, and someone pointed her and said, Well, I would encourage you to talk to Pastor Spurgeon. She had heard of his name and, and she read in the newsletter, the church's newsletter, which was called The Sword and the Trowel. The newsletter um, that, by which Spurgeon would write articles and, and address issues of their day. And, and she picked up The Sword and the Trowel. She had heard of his name and, and she read what Spurgeon was advocating in one of these issues. She read this where Spurgeon was advocating that for the establishment of schools. He was looking at the needs of their city. He says, esta- I'm praying for the establishment of schools, he says, where all we believe and hold dear shall be taught to the children of our poorer adherents. Ms. Hilliard read these words. She went straight to Spurgeon and she said, Pastor Spurgeon, will you help me? I want to start an orphanage. And with that, that orphanage was established with her resources and it even continues to this day called Spurgeon's Orphanage in London, England. Well, this morning I'm not necessarily advocating that we start an orphanage, but I wouldn't rule it out. What I'm advocating is that We look back on our rich history as Christians and the church. and we look back on that rich history, we see that history includes ministering to children. Children specifically of the poor. And it even has its foundation, our Lord Jesus Christ. Where our Lord said, let the children come to me. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Look, Park, the Lord has not only entrusted us with our own children, and He has, hasn't He? I look back and I look at Mr. Les Albro, and often when I'm talking to him, he often uh, tells me, it wouldn't matter if you never preached another sermon if I just got to sit in that back row and watch all those children run through. Isn't that right? (laughs) Just to see the Lord giving us so many children, what a stewardship that is that the Lord has given us. But I'd also say that the Lord has given us a providential stewardship in the location of this church. A location of this church where He has placed us in a, in a way, in a, in a season where we are able to minister to the children who are not as privileged. To the children who live in these homes right around us in the apartment complex across the street. And some of them are even in the seats listening to me this morning. Children who come on Wednesday night, both in our Awana ministry and in student ministry. The Lord has given us a great stewardship. And with those that the Lord has given us, we therefore have a responsibility to educate them. To educate them and care for them in the name of the Lord. And in doing so, we can impact the next generation. Here in Jeffersonville with the gospel. And that's really, even if you, if you were to do a study, and I commend that to you, if you want some resources, you can come talk to me, that, is, that has been one of the main avenues of outreach that the church has employed throughout its history. Because the world does not truly value children. Now, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And he kills and he destroys. And the world's solution to poverty and systemic crime is kill those children and manage the population. And I would say, what a season the church is in right now where we can step in and be a, a messenger of hope and light. In fact, this is my prayer. This is my prayer. I want Oak Park. The pastors want Oak Park. Your, your pastoral staff, your deacons, We want Oak Park to continue stewarding the gift of children. To be a place of stability and leadership. That means for me, all the way down. That doesn't mean that none of you ever move away. But what impact there may be in children who come in and there are the same faces as they grow up. We want stability here place where children grow up in the church, where multi-generational families are established and the goodness of the Lord is put on display. We have that here. I got to see that. I had the privilege of doing Paul Brody's funeral. Just hearing testimony of testimony from the family. Here's a man who left a legacy, who left an inheritance down. We have other families in here as well. And I could go on where there's grandparents and parents and and now children and grandchildren. Those who have passed down the heritage. We need to be a place, a church, that welcomes children who don't have this blessing. The blessing of family. And bring them into our midst. Whatever that may be. I don't know exactly. Think we're doing some of it. The Lord's giving us opportunity, but what may it look like for us to reach the next generation, and maybe even bringing them into our homes? To put it simply, as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to raise up children who are wise in heart. And this is what we're exhorted to in Proverbs. And 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 I'll put the verse on the screen. I'm going to call us to a familiar verse. We know very well, but I don't want to give a pointed application. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One of the great evangelistic avenues of the church that is ever before, both within our own families and outside our walls, is the evangelization of children. Of training them up into the fear of of the Lord to train them up in the way that they should go and that we should be a place that that welcomes anyone who comes to the door like Jesus said let the children come to me and whatever avenue and whatever opportunity we have that we would take it seriously to train them up that word to train means to dedicate means to dedicate them to the way And in Proverbs, there's two ways. There's the way of the Lord, and there's the way of the fool. The way of the wise, the way of the fool. The one who who fears the Lord, and the one who rejects the Lord. How do we train up a child in the way he should go? This passage brings great comfort and hope for us as a church. There are exceptions to this, and that's the nature of Proverbs. These are, are, are generally how the world works, but life is complicated. But generally speaking, and I would say we know that to be true in our own church. Many of you come from Christian families, right? You've experienced that. Or maybe you didn't come from a Christian family, but another family brought you in, ministered to you, and had an impact on you, and now you have brought up children who know the Lord. It's great power in the family. Something that the world is seeking to destroy. So how do we do that? How do, how do we train not only our own children, but the children of this neighborhood? That's where I want to open your eyes maybe to look a little bit bigger. The children who walk in these doors every week. We have a stewardship. We have a responsibility. And through our study of Proverbs, we've learned that this training looks like training their hearts to fear the Lord. It's as we read, as Pastor Mike read from Ephesians 6, to bring them up in the discipline and the fear of the Lord. And so this morning, I want to exhort us with three principles in doing this. I want, I want us to keep this bigger picture in view. I want us to have a, a bigger view of, of how do we're always raising up the next generation. And use Proverbs 22.6, and, and we're going to explore it even further by just flipping over to chapter 23, beginning in verse 12, and, and, and expound upon this verse and what this looks like elsewhere in Proverbs. But I want to give us three principles for raising up children, dedicating children to be wise in heart, so that we, Oak Park, may influence the next generation here in Jeffersonville with the good news Of Jesus Christ the first principle here is that we train their heart through discipline training their heart through discipline come to chapter 23 beginning in verse 12 Solomon writes to his son and he says apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with a rod he will not die if you strike him with a rod you will save his soul from Sheol. Now, Proverbs has come full circle. You've been with us through this study. These are the words of King Solomon to his sons. And he's talked about raising children, even from, from when they're infant, to now, as we're seeing, this is on the other scale, to when his own son now raises up sons and daughters of his own. And we see it in verse 12, this full circle. He he appeals to him. He says, apply your heart. Now notice that language, heart. Throughout this passage that we're going to look, he is always appealing to the heart, to the inner man. And he says, apply your heart to instruction, your ear to words of knowledge. He's appealing to him uh, to instructional discipline. He's appealing to him to to remember the heritage that his, his father and mother have left him this whole time. He says, it is now time for you to apply it. It's now time for you, get this, to raise up the next generation. That's what he's saying. I've done this. I've passed this on to you. Now here, my son, you must pass it on to your children. And I want, to, I want to encourage us to kind of look at that as our church. The Lord has brought us many, many families, lots of young families. we got many children, many babies being birthed. That's great. Growing churches, thriving churches are reproducing churches. Look at a, a church that's dying. There are no children. So how do we do this? We want to instruct our children. And I, and I think we're, we're 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 on the right path here. I, I look out here, I see faces of men and women who are pouring into our children, moms and dads who are pouring in our children. How do we do that? We teach them the scriptures. We teach them to, to memorize the word. If we think of, of Proverbs, this is exactly what Solomon has been exhorting his sons to hear my your father's instruction: forsake not your mother's teaching to bind them around your neck. And what happens in this instructional teaching, it's, it's formational, it, it changes them. If you think about modern education, modern education's goal, by and large, is, and, and I think we even maybe are, are drawn into this, is that the point of education is to, merely to get a job. Right? It's how we think about college. Well, what, what's going to get me the figures? Education is, the goal of education is not equation job. The goal of education is character formation, which will result in that. But education is bigger than that, and I would offer that much of our educational system has abandoned the character formation element. It is a post-Christian society that does not care so much about instilling virtue and ethics, which is exemplified in every sphere of our life and our society now. We're reaping the consequences of failed education. The Scriptures are not taught. Not only teaching the Scriptures, but teaching doctrine. And then applying that, that teaching in the world to live in light of Christ, and that can practically look like in skill, skills and trade. That, that certainly isn't part of, of education. But we don't value the full-orbed education uh, of the humanities. At least I didn't. I, I valued sports, which means art and music, you're a waste of my time, right? And some of you are like, yeah, I hated that stuff and English, and literature, and all that, Why do, that doesn't help you get a job unless you want to teach, right? So those things aren't valued as much. What's valued? Technology, sciences. Those are great things. But you can't fully live to the glory of God if you do not have a fully formed life. And I would venture to say that the church of Jesus Christ is the, is the one who can, can make sense of the world and instill this in children that no one else can and the next generation this begins in the home mom and dad everything we do is is a teaching time is instructional whether we realize it or not the things we think are important the way we order our home the patterns and the structures of our lives if we have dinner as a family together or if we just do it while we watch TV you're teaching your children your values you put on Sunday morning, the way you serve in the church. Everything is teaching our children. Some of these neighborhood kids come in here. They say, hey, when can I get the snack and the juice? You know what they're talking about, right? The Lord's Supper. And, and, and they, one of them came up to me one day, said, hey, I saw those people got dunked. I want to get dunked because I heard that's how you get the snack and the juice. <laughs> They're learning. They're watching. It's opportunities to instruct. Our children are always soaking it in. Whether explicitly what we're teaching them or implicitly through our actions. We do this on, on Wednesdays. This is, I, I, I'm so thrilled with those who, who sacrifice their time on Wednesdays, particularly with our Awana ministry just coupled with instruction teaching them the scriptures mom and dad we're giving you easy resources with here's the next verse to to do it you've got that people who are going to come alongside and help your children i'd encourage you go to your awana teacher your kids awana teacher and if, if your kids are involved and if they're not i would encourage them to be and ask them how's my kid doing and how could i do better And I bet, say, how is it that some of the other kids are memorizing? You know what I bet you'll find? They'll say they're the ones whose parents go over it with them. I heard that amen from Joshua. Hey, Darren. It begins in the home. The church is just reinforcing it. It's this environment that we instill. One of the things that we've been doing with Nick, our uh, facility director, we're trying to get creative. We've got kids who... Right as school ends, isn't this right, Terry? That buzzer beeps, and it beeps till we let them in, right? And kids are coming in. And we're like, we can't have them just sitting in the office. We're not getting anything done. we we got to do something. Hey, Nick. It's not just to dump them on them, but we're talking. (laughs) Hey, they come here, they work. We're instilling some discipline. Teach them how to do some things that they may be able to get a job. We don't want them to be idle and going home and sitting at home looking at whatever they do, running around doing whatever. We're we're providing instruction and mentorship. Maybe that will continue to grow and develop. Mom and Dad, we want our children, we want to parent our children to be able to become mature contributors to society in the name of Christ. We need to be thinking of that at every stage. And we get that when, when they're babies and then they can start talking, we can start reading, but I think some of us struggle when they enter that teenage years because we're in denial. And I haven't gotten there yet and I'm already prepping my heart. We somehow think, oh, I gotta parent them the same way they were when they were nine years old. But let me ask you, mom and dad, maybe particularly let me speak to us who homeschool, what are we doing to prepare our children to go function out in society? How are we training them? Because doing every degree, everything online, by themselves, is not going to prepare them to do anything in the world. How are they going to encounter the things that Solomon warns his sons to watch out for? How are they going to learn how to deal with that person who stabs them in the back, who talks about them? How are they going to deal with the fool who who gives full vent to his fury? How are they going to deal with the one who betrays them? if you never put them in a situation where they could be betrayed? How are they going to learn that they're actually not as good as they think they are at whatever they do? Yeah, they might be able to beat their their brothers and sisters, or they might be the smartest in the home, but the world's a lot bigger than, than the Sears family. How are they going to learn, hey, it's going to take hard work if you're going to succeed? How are they going to learn that? We must be educating our children. That's the instructional part. Then there's the corrective part we see here. Now this is clearly at the, the younger stage. Do not withhold discipline from a child. And speaking of, of striking them with a rod, this is spanking, right? Spanking, which another thing the world says don't do. I want you to see here, there's a condition, conditional statement here. If you strike him with a rod... He will not die, okay? Now, this applies wisdom. There's a fine line between spanking and child abuse. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a loving discipline. But notice the conditional statement. Look in verse 14. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Sheol is the abode of the dead. You will save your child from death. What's the flip side of that conditional statement? If you do not discipline your child, they will die. And I look at society, Joshua and I talk about this a lot, looking at our neighborhood, children who do not live in homes of discipline, schools that no longer have any expectation for the kids. Talk to one family. They're can't, can't learn in class because the teacher has no control over the classroom because they have no authority anymore. You cannot discipline. And I'm not suggesting you're spanking high school students. I'm just talking about corrective discipline in general. You can barely do anything and, and we are reaping the consequences. Just look at society. We need to be a place where they, they can be disciplined, lovingly disciplined. And that happens, right? Right? Joshua is doing things with our Awana teachers and, and student ministry. Uh, come here with your uniform on. Teach some discipline. You will say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. If they do not follow the order and the structure, there are consequences. And you know what we've begun to see? Some of these kids who are literally bouncing off the walls. You know what they say? They used to come up here and punch me in the gut, thinking that was how I wanted to be greeted, and now they say, I love you, Pastor Chase. Little differences. Shepherding their hearts, starting early, pointing them to the fear of the Lord. in everything we do, both instructionally, positively, and correctively, is is trying to shape their hearts to, to know who God is. And society has destroyed these structures. And therefore, they have no concept of authority figures disrespect and so to say fear the lord that makes no sense but we could be a place where we begin to help them understand it's so the first way we train their heart through discipline but we also want to train their heart through relationship through relationship look in verses 15 and 16 my son if your heart is wise my heart too will be glad My innermost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Jump down to verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. This is the full gamut of a child's upbringing. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you Rejoice. Our instruction and our discipline it has to come in the context of relationship. That's, that's certainly true as parents, right? Our kids must know we love them and care for them and we rejoice in the things that they rejoice in. That they can come to, to the hand that disciplines is also the hand that welcomes and heals. I know my daddy, my mommy, they love me. They want the best for me. They listen to me. They have time for me. We must parent in relationship. And you see the the close knit language that Solomon's using about his heart will be glad. Some of you have children who've grown, and you hear the words that come off their lips, and it brings you great joy, doesn't it? It brings you great joy. Because the lips out from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Again, I was thinking about yesterday's funeral and just hearing sons and granddaughters speaking and honoring the father or grandfather who had a relationship with them. You saw the impact and the power that had in their lives. As parents, we must maintain this relationship as a top priority. A failure to do this will, exa- will exasperate our children. We discipline apart from relationship and cultivating that and spending time. If all their interaction with you is do, not, do this and do this, if that's always what it is, your children will grow to despise you. It's a huge blessing from the Lord, isn't it? To have multi-generational family who passes down the truth to one generation to the next. I'm looking. I'm looking. There's many families here who benefit from that. I want you to kind of look at that, those families who do not benefit from that. Think of this systemic poverty in our culture. doing a little bit, uh, of hearing a little bit more about the drug epidemic in, in, in Kentuckiana. I think in one week there was 500 deaths, is that right, in Louisville, due to heroin overdoses? Talking to uh, um, Toby Jenkins and they said that 99% of the people in the jail is drug related. I was talking with Charlie and Linda Johnson yesterday And and she works with Brad Jacobs, and and they they deal with the the drug cases. And if you listen to people talking about, what do we do? It is so massive of a problem. There there are no easy solutions. And that's just one element of it. But if you just think about all the crime that's going on, 99% of it is drug-related. And I would say all that has come, by and large, from the breakdown of the family and education. And we're reaping the consequences of it. And so think about your family. You come from a family who's brought expectation, that's an honorable family. There's expectation, good, godly pressure on you, right? You come home, you better do good at school. Because mom and dad, grandparents, they expect that. And it's not just so that their name's not tarnished, because they want the best for you. Imagine you come from a home that does not give a rip what you do at school. It destroys a child. Same thing with the faith. Look, that's what he's, he's talking about here in verses 22 through 23. Buy truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. This is what he's telling his son, hey, you're going all out on your own. I'm not going to be able to control you anymore. I can't create this insulation. You now must grow up. But I'm, I'm by truth, do not sell it. Meaning, buy what we're selling you. The faith. And if you think about, if you come from a family that is rich in, in the heritage of the church, There's a good kind of buffer on your life that there's an expectation that I continue that and I pass that on to the Lord. And that's a blessing from the Lord. But those families who do not come from multi-generational families where the family structure is completely destroyed, they they look, they have no example, no expectation. And it is cyclical. All these issues are just, they're passing down from generation to generation. Some of you have been saved out of that. And now you've broken the cycle and you're raising up your children to know the fear of the Lord. Here's where I want to press us. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has been bringing some of these children to us. And if we want to reach Jeffersonville, that is not to say that the Lord cannot change any adult's heart, but by and large, those hearts have been hardened. They do not listen. They reject. But these sweet little children are still are still receptive and we're able to have an opportunity to have that relationship with them and teach them and instruct them Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive And he includes this, disobedient to their parents. We don't really think of that as a big deal. That's probably how far we've fallen. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Sounds pretty much like our society. Government isn't going to fix this, brothers and sisters. But the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ is the only hope. The Lord has us here for such a time as this. And while the world and and, and I support any effort, I'm thankful for law enforcement, I'm thankful for our government leaders who are trying. Brothers and sisters, we have the only eternal solution. We have the opportunity to show the neighborhood the light of Christ where there is no witness final principle is training their heart for joy training their heart for joy this is kind of built out of that relationship just some real wise counsel that was that I actually overheard in a conversation one time with a, an older parent who had raised children and someone was asking well how do you maintain, maintain the balance he says this is all I want my children to see I want them to see that I love Jesus and I have fun I love Jesus, and that's joyful. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking, man, my daddy hates church. I don't, by the way. I want them to say, man, church is fun. Church is wonderful. The, the people of God, though, that is where our friends are, and we, we enjoy them, and we find them precious, and, and we get excited about worshiping Jesus. Mom and dad, if, if your, your children... Watch you. Would you want them to worship the way you worship? Do you want them to pray like you pray? Cherish the scriptures like you cherish the scriptures. Look at what he says in verse 17. There's correction here. Let not your heart be envy or envy sinners. Don't go that way. And I think sometimes as parents, we do the, the don'ts. Don't, 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 don't. But I want you to see he counters the don'ts, the warnings, with promises of joy, of goodness, your, your benefit. Let not your heart envy sinners. Let me ask us again, where are our children going to be in encountering where they see sinners and that they have to face that choice? He says, but continue... In the fear of the Lord all the day, in verse 18, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Not only a future in this life, but eternal future, eternal reward. One of the things that I, I try to talk about with my kids over and over again, especially when hurts come, when they experience heartache of any kind, whether that's through relationships or, or something that go their way, I use it as a time of instruction and say, you know what? Our Heavenly Father loves us and He withholds no good things from those who love Him. And your Heavenly Father, you know your Daddy loves you, right? Yeah. Your Heavenly Father loves you better than Daddy. And He knows that what you need is not this. And he, you are not missing out on anything. He is holding up a treasure for you. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And I promise you, if you listen to your mommy and daddy, it will go well with you. That's what we want to communicate to our kids. We want to communicate to the children of this neighborhood. Hey, if you're listening here, it will go well with you. It will go well with you. And that's what he warns. Be not among the drunkards, verse 20, or the gluttons. Why? Because they'll come to poverty. Slumber will clothe them like rags. He warns in verses 27-28 to 28 against the, the forbidden lover, the prostitute, the, the sexual immoral. It's not just don't do this and there's a, no joy, but we couple it with no, the Lord, the things that you're longing for and you're seeking, the enticement of sinners, no, 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 no. Your Heavenly Father, in the right context, it will be much more joyful than you can ever imagine. But you go that route, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Brothers and sisters, as the church, we're to be a picture of the kingdom. The kingdom which is to come. We're to be a place that educates children. Not only children, but we raise them up all the way to the day they die. This is to be a place where kids come in, adults come in, they find love, joy, peace, patience, relationship, truth, structure. I mentioned we have neighborhood kids who come here every, every day. Spring break's been a little bit more. Why do they come? I mean, we're not doing anything too much fun. I'm usually responding to emails, calling, having meetings. I don't even know if some of them would articulate it that way, this way, but adventurers say because they know it's safe. And they come in here and there's people who are warm to them and kind to them. they're seeing something they've never seen before that happens every week here so here's my challenge to us I'm kind of making this open ended we're an equal opportunity ministry opportunity church where's the Lord tugging your heart what might this look like is there any Mrs. Hilliards out there I don't know Certainly, parents, we want to continue to dedicate training our children, don't we? We're going to keep doing that the best we possibly can, and we've got great resources called parents who've done this. Aren't you glad that I'm not the only one you gotta come talk to? You get better advice because people have gone through it. You've done it. Raised up multiple generations. If you need help finding those people, I will point you to them gladly. I'm going to seek their counsel. But maybe some of you who are looking, what what what's my life going to be? Maybe I'm going to become a teacher and get in the school system. I know we have some teachers here, but to my knowledge, we have no teachers in our school system here. Maybe subs, tutors, coaches. I don't know. Joshua and I. Have, this is just total brainstorm. There's no plans in order. But what would it might it look like? we got kids coming here. What well, if we had an official after-school program? We'll help them with their homework. They got a snack. They had game time. We need manpower to do something like that. I know a couple of families in this church, and I've filled out some applications and reference forms for them, or seeking to be foster parents. That's, that's the orphan system in our, in our country. We need more. Right now, I don't think we have any. Some of you have adopted and you've done it that way. What would it look like to train teach people good work ethic and give them experience and some of you who have businesses of your own easily transfer and say, hey, I'll hire you and let you to work and, and get an opportunity that you otherwise probably wouldn't give. Just coming along existing services and institutions, right? could look like that. It might look like something that we start on our own. I don't know. Here's what I do pray. As Pastor Spurgeon said in that Sword and Trial article that all we believe and hold dear shall be taught to the children of our poorer adherents. What that looks like, I don't know. But I pray that it looks like something here. Let's pray. Lord, may we not hinder the children may we be advocates for them may we link arms with those who are doing it well in our city Lord may we understand that their ultimate hope is that they have hearts renewed with the gospel and Lord what may it be if a neighborhood a city, the children were reached and the the systemic brokenness is smashed. Lord, that's our prayer. That, that is above probably any of us could ask or think. That's a big undertaking. And Lord, we, we aren't as big as Metropolitan Tabernacle in London was. But Lord, we have a big God. And we ask you to work in us. To pierce our hearts. What, what might that look like? Who might you bring our way? And so Lord, I pray that whatever it looks like that we as a church should be willing and excited and eager to raise children who are wise in heart. We pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen. If you would, let's stand and let's sing. Hey, as you stand, would you repeat these words after me? Hallelujah. 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 Praise the one, the risen son son. of God. God. You guys just learned the chorus of this song.